that means. But um, on the subject, because he believed in his God, you guys can be seated if you like. I don't have a verse to read at the beginning. Um, Malala Yousafzai was born in 1997 in Swan Valley, Pakistan. She grew up in and around the school as her father's lifelong dream had been to found a school. And so Malala valued ed education from an extremely young age. Life in Mangora, Swat's largest city, was easy. For the first part of Malala's childhood, the family had little money at first, but as her father's school began to do well, they became better off financially. In school, she was always the top of her class, and Pakistan began to change after the 9-11 attacks. Power continuously shifted, as did the nation's international reputation. One autumn, an earthquake devastated Swat Valley, leaving its people suffering and vulnerable and eager for some sort of leadership. And when Malala was 10 years old, the Taliban came to Swat Valley. The Taliban began to implement many strict rules. CDs, DVDs, TVs were not allowed in the home, and women must remain in Purda, which is a practice um, in certain Muslim and Hindu societies of living in a separate room or behind a curtain or dressing in all enveloping clothes in order to stay out of the sight of men or strangers. And then they also made the rule that girls could not be educated. And for Malala, the last rule was unacceptable. She and her father began to speak out strongly and publicly against the Taliban. She even began to write a diary about life as a girl under the Taliban using the, a pseudonym so that she could not be traced. The last, the Pakistani army said that they had struck a deal with the Taliban to institute Sharia law in Swat in return for peace. But unfortunately, this peace did not last and the situation got so bad that many people had to leave the valley fleeing the Taliban. Malala's family tried to stay for as long as they could, but eventually they ended up leaving as well. And they became um, IDPs or internally displaced persons living outside of the valley for three months before they were able to return when the army announced that the Taliban had allegedly been driven out of the valley. Once she returned to Swat, uh, Malala began to gain more national and international fame for being an advocate for girls' education. Similarly, her father continued to speak out loudly. Pakistan was shaken up when the United States Navy SEALs conducted a raid on a compound in Abbottabad where Osama bin Laden, you may have heard of him, um, the world's most famous terrorists had apparently been hiding out for years. Meanwhile, signs started to show that the Taliban had never really left the valley, and Malala's father continued to fear that he would be targeted. And one day, Malala was on the bus home from school, and a man pulled the bus over and asked for Malala by name and shot her in the face. And Malala was taken to an army hospital uh, and given an operation and they gave her brain space to swallow where the bullet had hit, and everyone prayed that she would survive, but they were unsure. A pair of British doctors came to assess her in the hospital and determined that she had to be moved if she was going to survive. So first they moved her to a high-security army hospital in India, but then she was later moved abroad to Birmingham, the United Kingdom, where she was treated more extensively, and her family followed her 10 days later. They did not return to Pakistan, instead settling in an apartment and then a house in Birmingham. In the aftermath of her shooting, Malala became an international sensation, using her newfound fame to speak out 
on a larger stage for girls' education. And in 2014, at the age of 17, Malala became the youngest winner of the Nobel Peace Prize as she continued to fight for, the, for girls' right to education, and she continues to do so today. Malala was one of many people who stood up to a corrupt government um, for what she believed was a greater cause. And we like stories about people who stand up for what they believe, especially when it comes to the government. I'm not going to try to incite some riot here today, but it's generally, we like these kinds of stories when people stand up to the powers that be, these tyrannical overlords that are trying to control everything we do, whether it's William Wallace or Joan of Arc or Robin Hood even or Martin Luther King Jr. or Rosa Parks or a convoy of truckers. These types of stories grab our attention. And in the Bible, there was a man whose nation was captured and he found himself living in a foreign country, um, in a land uh, which had its own religion, its own belief system, a land whose priorities did not match his own. And this man, he was talented, smart, and faithful to his God. He found himself, even though he was a captive and a foreigner, he found himself rising through the ranks of government. And um, by Daniel chapter 6, Daniel finds himself, even though he's a foreigner, as one of the three presidents of the kingdom of Babylon under King Darius. In fact, the Bible says in Daniel 6 and 3 that then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Daniel had an excellent spirit, and he was all around a good guy, and the king favored him above all of the others. And what do you think happened? What normally happens when one is favored above others? Jealousy happens. And other, the other presidents and princes of Babylon looked for something, something to get Daniel with, to catch him with. And the Bible says in King James Version, verse 4, that they could find none occasion or fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault to be found in him. Daniel was so good and Daniel was so faithful that no matter how hard these guys tried, they could not find anything wrong with him. His character was good. His work ethic was good. His reputation was good. In fact, the only thing that they could find and hold against Daniel, the only thing that they could come up with that made him different was that he served a different God and he was faithful to that God. And Babylonia mainly focused on the God Marduk, who was the national God of the Babylonian Empire, but there were also other gods that they worshipped. There were seven main ones, um, Enlil, Enki, Eona, Nabu, Nanasuin, Ninhershog, and Utu. These are great names. There's some, there were all, those are the main ones, and there was many other gods that they followed and worshipped. At various times, a single god in a Babylonian city was assigned as a primary or special duty for each city. Um, and that's what they would do. They had all these gods, and they would worship them. And you contrast that with the Jewish belief in one god, Yahweh. It was very different. And Daniel stood in a unique position that he was different than all the others around him. Babylon worshipped these other gods who were represented by idols, and Daniel and the faithful Jews worshipped a god who could not be seen. And by examining Daniel's life and by watching Daniel, the only thing they could find to trap him with was that Daniel worshipped another god, and Daniel was faithful 
to his God. And we just pause here for a minute. How great of a testimony is that? How remarkable is that? That the only thing they could hold against Daniel was that he loved God and followed him with everything he had. Daniel wasn't a bad employee. He wasn't lazy. He wasn't a bad neighbor. You know, he wasn't irritating everybody in his daily life. He didn't cut people off or rip people off. His reputation was spotless. How great would it be if people watched our lives and the only negative thing they could hold against us is that we loved God with all our heart and worshipped Him with everything we had. Not that we were rude or contrary just to be contrary. Not that we were dishonest or lazy or that we were bad neighbors or that we were judging or hypocrites or saying one thing and living another. The only complaint they had was that we loved God too much for their liking. That would be incredible. What a testimony that would be. That's how I want to live. But that's just a little side note. Moving on. Daniel 6 and 5. It said, And these men said, "What? We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And so these guys, they look at Daniel's life and they see how faithful he is to his God and they try to use that against him and they come up with a plan. They said, let's make a law where for 30 days no one is allowed to petition any other God or man except the king for anything. And if they do, why then we'll feed them to the lions. A petition here, the word petition here, they use it kind of like a, a trap because on the surface it looks like just like someone asking someone for something. That's what a petition is. Or they throw God or man in here, and that's a bit of a trap. Because when you petition a man, you're just asking him for something. When you petition a God, you're praying to that God. And I doubt the king, because he loved Daniel, I doubt he would have expected people you know, to pray to him. But as king, it's, it's nice to feel like you have the power, I would imagine. I'm not the king. To help or to hinder those in your kingdom. And to make this law, it would, it would connect him more with the kingdom. They'd have to come to him if they had a problem. He'd be able to deal with that. And he would, you know, it would unite the kingdom a bit, you would think. On the surface, it looks like the king just making decisions for his kingdom by himself for 30 days, letting you know, him get more acquainted with the people, be more in touch. Seems like a good thing. But underneath, it's a sinister plot. And that's just like the enemy, right? How many times is something presented as good, but it's designed to destroy us. We miss the fine print. We miss what he's trying to do and he's trying to accomplish. And we give him a, a foothold in our lives. You think back to the Garden of Eden, if you can remember, as I know you were there. But if you think back to the Garden of Eden story, Eve was tricked by words. What the serpent presented sounded like a good thing. What he said sounded very similar to what God had said, and she fell for it. It's a tale as old as time. And so these men, they come to the king with this idea. And to the king, it sounds like a pretty good idea. Yeah, this would be good. 30 days isn't too bad. It's not too long. I can deal with all the problems in the kingdom for 30 days. And so they make it a law, which according to the government at the time, once it was a law, it could not be changed. The law was even higher than the king. The king couldn't change it once it was set into Law And so Darius signs this law or decree and he puts it into place. And this is where our story gets interesting or a little bit spicy. <laughs> Daniel 6 and 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. 
He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And Daniel, this is where he protests, if you will. This is where he stands up to the world. Daniel knew that the law was signed. He went to his house and prayed. Daniel was not ignorant of what the law said. Daniel was one of the high-ranking officials in the country. He knew what was happening. Daniel was not worried about what the law said. When Daniel found out what the law said, the first thing he did was go home and pray. Daniel didn't go to the king and ask if it was allowed. Daniel didn't go to his neighbors to see what they were doing. Daniel didn't ask the other Jews and have a, a poll to see what their, their plans were. He didn't make Facebook posts and complain about the corrupt government. Instead, Daniel did what he thought was the right thing. He didn't care about the law. He followed his God and not a king. He didn't care about the consequences because he followed his God and not the king. He didn't care about losing his position because he followed God and not the king. But do you know why his reaction to this news was to go and pray? It says he kneeled on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Daniel had done this before. Daniel's reaction to a threat was to pray. Daniel's reaction to the threat of being thrown in a lion's den or being arrested was to pray because that's who Daniel was. He was a man of prayer. There wasn't any hesitation. There wasn't any concern. There wasn't any debate. Daniel went home and Daniel prayed like he had done many, many, many times before. And what you do today, the habits you establish today, the patterns in your life you establish today, and your walk with God today, and your home that you're building today are what's going to carry you through tomorrow. Daniel had done this before. Daniel had prayed three times a day before. That's, how, that's why they made the law in the first place. Daniel had done this before. What you do today is what's going to carry you through tomorrow. When the trials come and the threats come and the attacks come, that's what's going to carry you through, what you establish in your life today. Daniel didn't have to think about whether he should pray or not. He just did it because that's what Daniel did three times a day, every day. What you do today matters. Do you really think that we can coast by in our walk with God and then when the threats come or the trials come, then we're going to buckle down and then we're going to be faithful and then we're going to pray and then we're going to learn how to fast and then we're going to learn how to follow Jesus and then we're going to walk in the spirit once the trials come. Because I have news for you, it probably won't happen that way. Psalm 23, we're all familiar with this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. How do you know he's with you in the valley of the shadow of death? How do you know that he's with you in the dark when you can't see what's in front of you? How do you know that he's there? This is how Jesus said in John 10 and 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You follow him through the darkness by hearing his voice. You want to know where you learn what his voice sounds like? It's in the green pastures. It's beside the still waters. 
is walking in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We learn the voice of the shepherd in the good times, in the day-to-day and the following him through the blessings, through the times of peace, through the living for him daily and walking in those paths of righteousness. And then when we go through the valley, then when we're in the shadow, we know his voice and we can continue to follow him. But if we don't, we're going to be tricked by the other voices, the noise of this world. Because I don't know if you notice this, but in the dark, you hear a lot of things. <laughs> That's when the murderers are in the house. That's when... <laughs> I don't know. Everything's amplified in the dark. The dark causes all the other sounds to come out. When you're in the dark, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a valley, when you're in a lion's den, the other noises, the other voices, the other things become louder and louder. But if we're following him every day, if we're walking with him every day, we know that voice and we can hear, we can pick that voice out among the other voices. And following him every day, that's how you get through the trials. That's how you follow him through the trials. And Daniel, he's already established this. He's prayed before. It's easy for him to do it now, though there's a threat of death. It's easy for him to pray now because he's prayed before. He's not starting his walk with God today. He's not starting his prayer life today. It's easy for him to do it because he's established that pattern, that thing in his life. And so Daniel goes to pray and like he's always done. Verse 11, and these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And then they came near and spoke before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any God or any man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast in the lion's den? So didn't you make this law? They said, and the king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, that Daniel, that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee. He's not listening to you, O king, nor the decree which thou hast signed, that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. They heard Daniel praying, and they went to the king. And they said, isn't it true that you signed this law and no one can petition anyone else for 30 days? And Yeah, well, it's a law, he said, and it can't be changed. And they said, well, Daniel's been praying three times a day. And the king, he's heartbroken. He's upset. He's devastated because the king, he loves Daniel. And what is remarkable to me about this is they bring this accusation about Daniel to the king. And the king, he doesn't follow up. He doesn't send officers to Daniel's house to check out or to make sure this is true. He doesn't call Daniel and ask him, hey, Daniel, you've been praying. He doesn't ask for evidence. Instead, the king, he's upset with himself for falling for their trick. He's displeased with himself for signing the stupid law in the first place. And it would seem to me the reason for this is that the king knew Already that Daniel prayed three times a day. The king knew that Daniel followed his God faithfully. And the king was aware of Daniel's faithfulness. He was not shocked 
or surprised by the news that Daniel was still praying. He wasn't caught off guard by Daniel's faithfulness. He was more surprised at himself that he did not see it coming. Imagine having that sort of reputation where you are accused of doing something for your God and people, yeah, that sounds like something Sherman would do. Yeah, that sounds like something Wilma would do. That sounds, that makes sense because I can, they've done that sort of thing before. They've prayed those sorts of prayers before. That sounds like something they would do. Oh yeah, that's Daniel. I should have known that he was going to pray anyway because that's what Daniel always does. Imagine having that sort of reputation. That would be incredible. Oh yeah, that's, that sounds like something he would do. I don't even need to go check. I know I know the faith of this person. I know they would do it. And so that's what happens. And, and, and I haven't got to my actual point yet. We'll get there. But Darius throws Daniel in the lion's den because of the law. He's got no choice. In verse 16, it says, And the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And Darius says, Your God... The one that you serve continually, the one that I knew you were praying unto, and I knew you were going to pray to again, the one that you've been praying to every day, three times a day, that God, he's going to deliver you. I know that he will. And Daniel, he's in the den all night long, and Darius, he's awake all night long, worrying about his friend Daniel, and worrying about whether or not he's going to make it through. And he gets up very early in the morning, in verse 20 to 22, it says, when he came to the den, he cried the lamentable voice unto Daniel, and the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, again, he brings it up, able to deliver thee from the lions. And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. Daniel was a God you are devoted to, able to deliver you. Daniel was a God you are serving, able to save you. Daniel was the God that you are faithful to, able to fend off the lions. And Daniel answered, my God has sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions, and I am safe. And in this great moment, I know most of us are familiar with the story. Maybe you've tuned me out till now because you know the story. But in this great moment where a faithful man is rewarded for his faithfulness, because we know God rewards faithfulness. God honors faithfulness. When this man is rewarded for his faithfulness, I want to turn your attention to the next verse. Verse 23. And then was a king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found on him because he believed in his God. And here are my main points. It took me 25 minutes or so to get here. Right at the end. Why was Daniel spared from death? Why did Daniel survive the lion's den? Why was he spared from slaughter? Why did he make it through this trial, this whatever you want to call it? Because he believed in his God. He had faith in his God. And this is the key. I'm going to bring it down to two parts here. First, he had faith. Faith is the key. Second Corinthians 5 and 7 says we walk by faith, not by 
sight. Remember the shepherd illustration we mentioned earlier. It's not by sight that we walk. We don't get through the valley by being able to see ahead of us. We walk by faith. We walk by and by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, the Bible says. We walk by knowing his voice. And we get through it by following him. Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can't see it. you got to follow it by faith. you got to hear it. you got to know his voice. And verse 6 says, um, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For you that come to God first must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So Daniel, first, he had faith. He believed in his God. And we will put our faith in all kinds of things. People, parties, and promises. Systems, statistics, and ourself. We put our faith in the world, weapons, and wealth. But all of those things will always fail us. All of those things will not sustain us. And those things will end up letting us down. But when our faith is in God, that makes all the difference. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken. By faith, Noah was saved and his family. By faith, Abraham followed God. By faith, Sarah conceived. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob blessed his sons. And by faith, Joseph foretold the exodus, and by faith Moses was hidden and spared, and by faith he led Israel out of the land of Egypt. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, by faith Rahab saved the spies, and by faith David killed Goliath, and by faith the church grew and moved forward. By faith we received grace, by faith we are saved, and the just shall live by faith. Daniel was saved because he believed in his God. You want to know how to get through the dark moments. If you want to know how to get through that trial or that test that you're facing. One, believe in your God. Believe in his word. Believe that all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Believe that he hears and he answers prayers. Believe that he's with you. Believe that he will never leave you or forsake you. Believe in your God. Whatever you're facing today, believe in your God. Troubles come when we stop believing. When our faith falters, that is when we fall. And so first we have to have faith and believe in your God. Daniel was saved because he believed in his God. And that means he had faith. And it also means that God was his God. He knew who his God was. Daniel didn't make it through because he believed in some other God. He believed in his God. He knew who he was. Why? Because Daniel prayed three times a day. Daniel walked with God. He followed his God. He prayed and he worshiped and he obeyed him regularly. He walked with him every day. Daniel, or sorry, God was Daniel's God. He wasn't far off. It was a personal relationship that he had with him. He wasn't some distant figure. He wasn't a, another God on a list of God's. He was Daniel's God personally. And when we are going through a trial, when we're going through a test or a valley or whatever word you want to use, we've got to know that he is our God. I've got to know that God is my God. There's something powerful, powerful about someone who knows their God. 
A lot of times we just try to coast by, we just kind of get by, and we know about God, and we come to church, and we hear the preaching sometimes, if we're listening, and we know the stories, and we pray when something bad happens, or we need a miracle, or whatever, we, maybe we pray before meals, and we give in the offering, and we do these, all these things, but do we know Him? We can do all that stuff and miss out on who he is. We get to know him by spending time in his word, by spending time in prayer, by being full of his spirit and walking in the spirit. Again, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We need to know his voice and he needs to know us and we need to follow him. Knowing him, hearing his voice, following him. If we're going to go through the lion's den, if we're going to go through the test, the impossible situation we find ourselves in that there seems to be no way out of, if we're going to do that, we need to believe in our God. We need to have faith. In Mark chapter 9, a father comes to Jesus and he asks him to heal and deliver his son. Verse 23, And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. If we believe in our God, if we believe it is possible, healing is possible, restoration is possible, miracles are possible, protection is possible, provision is possible if we believe in our God. You can't last this storm. It is possible. If you believe, just like Daniel, if you believe in your God. But he says, if. And there's a little word, but it makes a big difference. Because the problem isn't with God. The problem isn't whether or not he can do it or he can't do it. That's not what it is. There's no if God can do it. There's no if Jesus can can do it. It's if you can believe. Because he can. The problem is with us and our faith. If we can believe, all things are possible. If we could just get a revelation of who Jesus truly is, if we would just know him for who he truly is, if we could just know our God like Daniel did, if we could just believe that all power is truly in Him. We can quote all the sayings and the verses, but do we believe that when we say He's our healer or deliverer or a way maker or provider or a comforter, do we really believe it? Do we really believe and have faith? Whatever the need is, He can meet it. Whatever the disease is, He can heal it. Whatever the issue at home is, he can speak peace into it. He can fix it. He opens blind eyes. He heals broken hearts. He saves lost souls. He takes persecutors from the church and he makes them into missionaries. He causes the lame to walk. He gives peace in the storm. He shelters from the rain. He provides for needs. He can do it. He delivers People out of lion's dens. There is no if on the side of Jesus. The if is on our side. If we have the faith, if we believe, if we respond, if we reach out, if we pray the prayer, if we go, if we step out. But sometimes we are like the father of the child because 
It says, he's, straight away the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. He said, Jesus, I believe, but help me as I'm struggling. Because there are times, if we are honest, where we can struggle with faith. I can get up here and I can rag on you and say, yeah, praise the Lord, what happened? But there, I know there are times where we struggle with it, most of us. And it'd be nice if we just lived in a state of constant, you know, believing that everything can happen, everything will happen, but often we don't because sometimes we're walking by sight. And it doesn't look good. It doesn't look like anything can happen. We see things that cause us to doubt. We experience pain that causes us to wonder. And it shouldn't, but it happens. And this man, he brings his boy to Jesus, and he desperately wants him to be delivered. And he's so deep in this. This, guy, this boy's been possessed, and he's doing all kinds of things, and he can't control it, and he wants to help his son. There's nothing he can do. And it's a struggle to him just to see how it could be different. Just to see how this could be different. He's physically done the things that he can. He's brought the boy. He's wrangled him. He's brought him to Jesus. He's come and he's being open and honest with him. He's done everything that he can, but he's known this situation for so long. It's almost impossible for him to see life any other way because this is how it's been for years. His boy has been like this for too long. When you're in a situation like that, it's incredibly difficult to see through the eyes of faith how Jesus can deliver. When your child's been addicted for so long, when that spouse has fought against God for so long, when um, you've been in that wheelchair for so long, when you've been sick for so long, when the family has been dysfunctional for so long, when the finances have been the way they are for so long, and the pain has been there for years, or you, the hurt just keeps lingering, and it's been going on forever. It's difficult to see how it can be different because that's all that you can see. We want it to be different. You want Jesus to step in and intervene and deliver and heal and provide and do all the things that you know we can do. And you've done everything you can to see it happen. You've been faithful. You've come to him. You've prayed and you've been honest. But there's that if always nagging in the back of the mind because we can't quite figure out how he can do it. Life's been like this for so long. What's it going to be like after? You can't even see. Sometimes when you're in that den, you forget what it was like before and you can't even imagine what it would be like to be out. And if that's you today, we need to pray the, pray the prayer that that father prayed. I believe. Help my unbelief. I want this. I want this for my family. I'm going through a trial. I want you to deliver. I want you to heal. I want whatever the situation is, I want you to move in my family. I want you to move in my life. I'm, I want it. I'm here. I brought my needs. I brought my burdens. I'm here. I've done what I can. I've prayed and I've, I've worshipped and I've, I've been faithful and I'm here again in, in your presence. I want this, but I'm struggling how? I'm struggling to see how it can even happen. God, help my unbelief. And if you're struggling with believing, it's okay. Just pray that prayer. Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, I want to see you work. I want to see you deliver. I want to see you heal. I want to see you move. I believe. Help my unbelief. Because what happens when we do that, what happens when we're honest with him, when we stop pretending, 
And so I'm acting like we got it all figured out. We aren't struggling to have faith. What happens is Jesus responds. He responds to faith, and he also responds to someone who says, I believe, but I need your help to believe even more. And Jesus responds, and he heals that boy, and he delivers that boy. And he shuts the mouths of the lions. And he makes a way. And he provides, and he opens doors. And he comes through when we believe in our God. And if you're struggling to do that, just praise him. Jesus, I believe. Help. Help me. Daniel was delivered because he believed in his God. The things he did leading up to that is what got him through. We've got people here that have been faithful for years. You've been following God for years and you've been walking with him for years. And those things that you've done in the past, those times you've been faithful, it's going to carry you through this trial. It's going to carry you through this den of lines. It's going to carry you through this thing. And right now you might be like that father and say, I don't know how it's going to happen. I've been in this too long. But the foundation that you've built is going to carry you through. Pray that prayer. Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. If you're just starting out, you can start building that foundation. Start being faithful like Daniel. Start praying. Start getting in the Word. Start walking with Him. faith and he knew who he was. Hallelujah. Let's pray today.